Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting it. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Digital Section, a nerd podcast, where it's that lovely time of the season. Where every once in a while, Mark lets me talk about anime. And this God time, I've brought another friend. So joining us this time, my first college roommate, known by many names, but we're going to call him Josh. Josh, I can ask you if you're, if, you're, if you're okay with going with your last name on here. Um, I don't know, it's pretty tough. It's a lot. He does share a last name with one of the greatest investigative journalists of all time who yes. talked to the Marshall Division Ghostbusters. Um, yeah. Now, that's so a deep reference. To... Yeah, that's a that's a very, very deep reference that uh, we, barely, we barely even know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Josh, a.k.a. Hey, you in the bushes. How are you doing tonight, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm doing uh, pretty adequate. And thank you so much. It's uh, yeah. it's an honor to be here i think is what i'm supposed to say ah well i mean we are happy to have you and honor or punishment either way you're on board uh and actually quick uh quick um side note do you still have a snail child is that hanging around still or did or is it lost to the ages nope it is safely protected actually uh i took out a movie poster from a hardened um like storage cylinder yeah, and it's in there. It's not up yet, but we don't have a finished basement. So what do you? That's do? okay. I'm just, I'm just glad she's still safe. Which years later? What anime no. is that from? I forget the, where the Snare Child came from. I don't I know. know. It was. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those super early morning things, and mm-hmm. we wanted colorful lights and something as we were super tuckered out. Yes. See, now this is a disclaimer warning for those of you listening at home, as we're usually assuming you are. There's a lot of inside jokes that are most likely going to happen between Joe and Josh tonight, so just be, be prepared. Maybe <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll try to release like a, a show notes thing that references mm-hmm. all of the references and we'll see how, yeah. how far we can get. And but, all you uh, gotta do is subscribe to that next tier on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you guys can use that soundbite sometime if you want. Yeah, there we go. Oh yeah, we're stealing that. That's happening. Yeah. And well, in case I do find the snail child and where it came from, it will be in the show notes. But, or if it's not there, you'll know I never found it. Mm-hmm. Well, one but, thing we did find, which was a film that came out almost as long ago that I was born, which yeah, is why we're here today. Four years ago. 34. Man, it's been some time. Lost a lot of hair over that time. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, speaking but, of this yeah. show of this of this really show it's a movie but um it's now it may be a little spoiled but i'm gonna ask you gents what do stranger things kanye west looper and the clothing brand supreme all have in common 
the ability to cause a stroke by all being involved in the same sentence. Yeah. The same the same font as the movie. Absolutely. And what movie is that? Akira. Akira. Yeah. Akira. So, oh, wait, sorry. Akira yeah. Integra GSR so, front wheel drive. Every one of those properties has admitted in some way, shape, or form that they've taken inspiration or pretty much straight up did like homages or copies um, to Akira. And including one that wasn't in there was South Park. Mm. Um, they did an Akira reference. If you remember the Trapper Keeper episode, Cartman yes. ends up very much like Tetsuo uh, at the end of Akira. So now, this... now we've now we've truly done two spoiler alerts within the first yeah. like three minutes here. <laughs> Although we didn't tell you, I mean, I guess if you've seen that episode of South Park and I you've guess. never seen Akira, like you know, some weird shit's gonna happen eventually. But then again, you know, it's an anime that is kind of not really a spoiler. Weird shit's gonna happen eventually. There will always be some yeah. cultural disconnect. Um, and you know what? Yeah. Just just strap just strap on. Be on board for the ride. Gonna yeah. be weird. Gonna yeah, be everybody, everybody, get your strap-ons and get ready. We're going for a deep dive <laughs> on Acura. Two minutes, guys. Two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Josh is, is. You can't see this, but he's he's starting his stretches, his male kegels right now. He's getting ready. Yes. All yeah. right. If you want to see so... the full video, check my Instagram. Is <laughs> <laughs> that sound bad if you want as well? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do it all now, night. While while we are known for like going going back to the early two thousands, the nineties, and nay, sometimes all the way back to the eighties, um, when we look at Akira, it's basically influencing a ton of modern day things more than just you know a podcast that at least three people are listening to at this point. So what we want to do tonight is kind of go into what really makes this movie so influential and so like i don't know like lasting what makes akira so great that you have so many people willing to copy it homage it or at least keep re referencing it about nearly three and a half decades later and that i think is really the big point because as you know my anime journey well there is no anime journey we'll put it that Very way little. that that is a 404 not found footage type of thing for me um, I I knew plenty of anime people. I had been around them. You know, I've watched them. I've observed them, and I've seen them. You know, eat and and live very fulfilling lives. But I have I have very little knowledge about um, about these things. And I chose to watch it after we brought this up. But after having watched it, now I am seeing just how much this touches of pop culture and and yeah, truly, how many people have I wouldn't say ripped it off, but have. You know, paid homage, as as the French like to say. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, and so like Mark, like he just kind of freely made like he he watched this after we um, basically told him that we were doing this episode. Uh, he, uh, my 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 friend Josh and I, basically told Mark this is happening. So while Mark said, you know, it just happened. Um, you know, Josh, like what what drew you to this movie, or what keeps you coming back to watch this movie? Great question. I'll get to it in a second. I just want to say it's super cool. And I haven't actually thought of it in the perspective of somebody who's never seen any of that. Mm -hmm. And then being able to reference back of the things they do know and have experienced where they're like, oh, it came from that. It came from that. It came from that because it was so long ago. Yeah. So I'm a little jealous, actually, you got to see it that way. But I got into it. First time I saw it was a while ago and I was too young. 
for sure. <laughs> but they used to show something on, I think it was the sci-fi channel on Saturday mornings. And I've often ish been a morning person, except for this weird period of time around college. But um, I remember always getting up early and like making sure that I'm going to watch it. And this was one of the movies that was on there. Cause it was always this like really weird two hour block. And I think, let's see, it was going to be, I don't remember which the first was, but it was going to be Akira or Tokyo tank police area of the Zerum project. Probably another one that's right around in that, that range. And they were all kind of that same older, probably cheap licensing or something. Um, but this one, I remember like solely for the reason why everybody does it's that like sideways sliding motorcycle stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Um, they said it like a thousand times. Canada. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, mm-hmm. Canada. Um, <laughs> that he makes that everybody knows it from. And it, like, oh, yeah. That image been stuck around forever. I mean, it's just, oh. it's like, it's beyond iconic. Yeah. It, absolutely. It like everything's used it. Every like honestly, any almost you watch anything with a motorcycle. If you think of like a slide that was done, Akira did that slide and they did it first. Yeah. And not to be like, oh, well, it was I knew about it when it was before it was cool because I saw it on an anime. But no, basically, yeah, that's what it was. Is it did it and like like Josh said, it just it's become beyond iconic with the amount of things that like copy it or reference it now. Yeah, the only thing that would make that power slide cooler is if it had like a an eagle superimposed on it with its like you know mouth wide open watching it you know in awe. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get into the American references in that movie, I'm ready to jump ahead of the script. They are um, ton. absolutely. It's, it's so um, bad. <laughs> so uh, looking at this movie, then um, I guess I. I I, I guess we go a little into bit with me with it. Like I was just in it because like I had like just barely started getting into anime and I think it was um, high school. I think the first time I ever saw this was on um, like VHS and it was like kind of grainy, but kind of great at the same time where right. I, I got it from, got it from a friend who I don't know how he got it because I don't think his parents would ever let him purchase this movie if they knew it was actually on it. Considering you saw I think anime titties within the first like 15 minutes of this movie. It's so, art. It's art. <laughs> it is okay? art. It's an yeah. art form. And as and much as I, I the worst part of the art form. Oh god. No, no. <laughs> and as as slanderous as they made that sound, this really like I would consider of, of I would say that this is art because of just how well and incredible it's done. Um watched it there and I was weirded out by it at first because you see like um some of the characters and like within very early in the film they're like these tiny weird little blue people you're like what the fuck just happened um like With their mouth their mouths are always open now yeah they're they're always, they're always a game yeah. always a game yeah. so yeah. like i didn't honestly did not appreciate the first time i saw it i was a little weirded out by it and then <laughs> watched it again um after i'd gotten through college and i was living on my own stevens point and then it actually took it actually the second time i watched it, it actually took better like, I remember, I think, going to watch the movie, being like, I wonder if this is actually as bad as I remember, or not bad, but if this is as weird as I remember it being, because I always remember, like, people telling me, like, oh, if you watch anime, you have to watch this movie. And typically, that makes me never watch the thing I was just told to watch. No, oh, yeah. But yeah. I actually gave it a second try. Oh, he, if anyone knows me, they know I'm so rebellious. Like, no, rebellious. I won't. 
<laughs> not doing it. That's why I'm going to keep the same schedule my entire life by being a teacher because I never want to leave this <laughs> asinine schedule. All right. So yeah. let's now start looking into the actual work that went behind making this movie. So when we look at kind of like the overarching themes that are here, uh, let's actually go into its its production where we look at um, Katsuhiro Otomo. I think I, I Katsuhiro Otomo is the, the creator of Akira. And when he was looking at actually making this, actually, let's take a step back before he was thinking about making it. Um, he was influenced greatly by actually like Western movies um, that were basically like uh, Bonnie and Clyde and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, where like basically the the idea is where I live is boring and I need to leave. So he got the idea to leave his smaller town and go into Tokyo where he fell, he fell in love with the landscape and how like you could go from seeing modern architecture and then seeing a weird Spanish architecture building and then seeing something completely different all within like three or four blocks of each other. So that played a huge part into it. But if I were to say the word Tetsujin 28, is anyone familiar with that? Uh being completely honest it, it means it means almost nothing to me other than the recognition of the numbers two and eight i, I know those mm -hmm. i do know that it's about a boy it's true and there's something with the giant weapon i do remember it's, that it's true that's right so um and Jay actually america <laughs> i can guarantee you that eventually you will have heard of this of this but basically it was a manga ran in the 1950s basically about a little boy who finds um this giant secret weapon uh that was meant to be used in world war ii against the allies uh, but because the war ended before it was completed it never made it out there but he finds it it turns on shenanigans ensue and when you had um Otomo thinking about making Akira. Uh, he was approached in 1982. He was working for a magazine called Young Magazine. And he'd written a bunch of like smaller um, series manga before this. And he was approached with like, could you write something? We, like, you're really good. We'd like you to write something longer. So he started thinking of, um, of, of stories he could make. And this was started off as the inspiration for Akira was this Tetsujin 28. And by the end of it, the only thing that really survived was the number 28, which did anyone, does anyone know where 28 was used in this movie? Yeah, that was um, Tetsuo's patient number or child number, I bet. <laughs> uh, not, not quite. Um, if you remember. I knew they had numbers on their hands. Uh, yeah, that's close. That's actually close because all of the Esper children had numbers tattooed on their hands. Oh, and yeah. uh, when you first actually see anything resembling uh, Akira, it's his like containment tank, and the number is twenty-eight that's on top of it. Oh, yep, so close. So close. Yeah. And then, of course, the rebellious youth who found Tetsujin twenty-eight, none other than a boy named Kanida. So mm. those are really the oh, only two things that ended up surviving. Mm -hmm. Oh, Canada, you're so great. We're keeping you around. Interesting. Mm -hmm. But before he wrote Akira, he did write a, a very well-received manga that was called uh, Gundam Kill Wing. Oh, Gundam Wing. You, I wish oh, I could have had you for the Gundam Wing episode. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just talked about Endless Waltz the whole time. Which, 
fantastic movie. Flip and love Endless Waltz, which maybe we maybe we'll revisit in season three because they only get so many anime anime episodes a season. Some of those wounds, you know, they they might heal over, but you always know they're there. You know, oh, and, there. And, absolutely. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah, we we know that three beats of war, peace, and revolution will go on through all of history, Mark, and you cannot stop this from happening. Dude, I I don't want to be challenged by the things I'm watching. Okay, I don't want to learn while watching a movie. I, you know, I just want explosions mm-hmm. and nudity and possibly drug use on top of the nudity. Like that's I'm a very simple person. Okay. Okay. Well, then Akira is actually perfect for you. Core values here. Very core, wholesome values here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all we need. All we need. But anyway, uh, Otomo had uh, written and actually illustrated uh, the work for Domu and several other shorter serials before this. And Domu was about a little girl with psychic powers dun, 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 mm. who first is introduced in her story. Um, her name is Etsuko, and she basically sees like a kid being thrown off an apartment building and then uses her psychic powers to not have the child die. And her story ensues from there. It was very popular. It won the 1981 Japanese Cartoonist Association Award for Best Comic or Best um, Manga. It also was the first manga to ever win the Nihon Science Fiction Taisho Award. So, very, very solid. And eventually, Dark Horse would actually bring that over in 2001. It was one of its best sellers that year. So I'm still stuck on the, the Domu thing and my mm-hmm. first thought that it was a Pokemon from one of the newer games and I just wasn't <laughs> familiar with it. That was I the mean, image that popped in my head. There is like There's an 85% chance that's still true. Because they're like, what, 700 Pokemon now? 9,000? Somewhere between no, those two I, numbers? I bet, I bet it's thousands. <laughs> we'll talk about it on another episode, guys. Go ahead and look through our feed, check our playlist, see if you can find it. Yep, smash that like button, hit subscribe while you're at it. <laughs> Wait, so it, for he's getting it now. Now you're 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 saying you're not saying domo, you're saying doumo, right? Because oh, yes, doumo. I'm sorry. Because because domo is that let that furry little oh, like, yeah. dude with the the That's big chompers true. and all that. Yeah, so the angry brownie. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm just sitting here like going, you know, what in tarnation are you talking about? Because I'm yeah, like, what in the Sam hail? Yeah, it's it, it, so it's do domo, not not domo. Yes, right? domo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Because I still don't know what that means. But but now I'm I don't. Closer. I, just, I keep hearing the moo, and maybe it's because I'm from Wisconsin. <laughs> well, technically, all three of us proud of Wisconsin. Yeah, technically, one hundred percent of this call is brought to you by the state of Wisconsin. The state of Wisconsin, America's yes. Dairyland. Not as we're sorry. Tell your folks I said hi. That's for that one comedian. Go to his shows. He's a co-sponsor. Yeah, he's not, but we wish he was. Thank you, Charlie, for listening. You're not, but thank you if you are. Um, <laughs> so this is where um, Otomo starts now writing Akira. And if you have either of you ever read the manga, by any chance? No, no, definitely just no. the uh, movie snob for it. Ah, gotcha. Well, I mean, fun fact about the manga, it was the first manga in fully translated in its entirety in the United States. So mm-hmm. it was the first one from start to end, which they started writing in 1982. Guess what year they finished it? There's only so many years, I guess. So, so many years. So many. 1999. 1999. Mark, you're talking. You're talking that's... the actual run of the manga itself. The actual run of the saying? manga, 120 chapters. Keep in mind, the movie came out in 1988. I was going to say I was going to try and go for like Price is Right style and go 1986. No, that, that probably wouldn't be right. Hurry! I'm almost got. I almost got yep. it pulled up. 
No. Oh, and the answer is 1990. Still, two years after the movie came out. Got got some points. You were close, but Josh, if you do go off of prices right rules, you did overbid. Mm. You heard wrong, but that's all right. (laughs) (laughs) I I reject your reality and substitute my own. Yes, I mean that's fair. I mean, this is all worth fake internet points anyway. Yeah, now, go. I feel like we, we do go. need to explain to people that, that manga translates to photos that tell a story, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what that means? I'm just kidding. It, I it's, mean, it's just a it kind of basic. It felt good. Yeah, it felt I right. mean, you had me as a believer. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, but but manga is basically just like, you know, comics of the, the Japanese world, right? Like they're mm-hmm. uh, sometimes they're even posted in like newspapers, aren't they? Like it's it's almost like yeah. a like a Sunday newspaper comic strip, right? Yeah, I mean, their newspapers, uh, other like magazines and publications typically have some sort of manga running in them. Okay. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I'm I'm like full on ignorant traveler right now. Like this is <laughs> this is such a blind spot for me. You could haymaker me, and I would not see it coming. So this is. I feel like you're yeah. bragging about having a more productive youth than me and Joe. Oh, I'm, to- uh, I'm totally not. Totally not. Yeah. It was all fueled by Ecto Cooler and the Sega Genesis. You know? Yeah. It's okay. I've got plenty of childhood trauma that filled that space. Don't you worry. Oh, yes. So as the if year you goes want to on. talk more about mental health issues, come to my channel. And every Tuesday, I got nothing on that one. Sorry, no. guys. Keep going. Do you even have a YouTube channel? No. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, I was just he's just plugging Sorry, it to plug on. it. And then. Inspire confusion, right? Like, let me, let I was me keep throw something it. out there and just be like, "Yeah, come to this channel," just in case in the future I do, and someone's like mm-hmm. back watching episodes or something. Um, sad but okay. That's the blog that I started. Uh, don't ah, look for it. There we go. It's not published yet. S A H D, and then but okay, one T, no buts. <laughs> the whole thing. Look for it. Hashtags and stuff. <laughs> and we're gonna make you remember that at the end when we give you like the opportunity oh, to no, tell us real. where you find your like, internet. It's, it's there. It's there. Yeah, I'll tell you all about it um, when we're when we're offline, or whatever it's called, off screen. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, anyway, so uh, Otsuo is is working on Akira for a few years, and he eventually gets approached to actually start working on animation. So he gets a job working um, on a project called Genma, which is another very famous manga. I have to say, I have not read it, and I also have not seen the subsequent movie based off of it. But while he's working on Genma, he actually kind of starts privately just animating Akira as he's going along. So just in his spare time, because, you know, animation, I'm guessing, super easy to create. There's no way that takes a long time, not an overbearing process, that someone has time to animate something on the side while he's also working on a professional thing. And granted, he was working as uh, he was the lead character designer for Genma, so I'm not sure how much of actual animating he did during that movie. I was going to say this this area of the world at, at this point in time, like if we're going to go into like you know historical perspectives, you know some of the biggest animation studios did exist in either Japan or mm-hmm. the Philippines, and so I mean obviously, or I say honestly, not obviously, but honestly, the idea of of animation as a hobby doesn't doesn't seem that far off right um yeah but and uh, but... actually there, there's a good chance that a lot of your favorite american cartoons were animated in japan or the philippines yes and brought over yep mm-hmm. totally and yeah yes 
declining yeah, levels they... of quality depending on what series but yes yes <laughs> well the 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 demand and the the demand was was high and the time was low so we you kind of get what you get in that scenario but yeah that's what typically would happen but anyway while he's doing this privately one of his publishers at young ends up finding out that he's doing this and he looks at it and he's like why don't we turn this into something this is incredible like akira is a Basically, as a manga, it's a success. Like, it's doing very well. And he's like, this would be perfect as a movie. So Atsumo is like, actually, like, he's not like, oh, no, I'm just doing this for fun. No, 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 please don't make this into anything. He's like, no, let's fucking do this. Let's turn this into a GD movie. You son of a bitch, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so now that he is is on board for making this into a movie... He actually had production notes ahead of time. Unlike some writers, how he wanted the story to actually end so that when, you know, a movie or perhaps a TV series is made based off of his work and he would be involved in it, that he wouldn't have to hand it off to other writers to suddenly come up with the end of the story and completely blow an eighth season on. Like Game of Simpsons. Yep, definitely. Yeah, the Fuck the whole thing up. <laughs> <laughs> so he he basically in his mind knew where he wanted the story to end up, but also at the same time, he did say he did not want the the anime to just be like a carbon copy of what was going on in the story. He instead said that this needed to be a visual piece and not a hero piece. So when we say like a hero piece, what do we have in mind, gents? Uh marvel dc marvel dc crossovers dc marvel crossovers uh dc marvel crossover reboot reboots um, yeah. yeah i forgot the reboots i know there's another reboots galore i was only gonna throw out uh, hero hamada but big hero 6 hadn't come out yet so yeah. i got nothing mm -hmm. not there <laughs> But basically, like when we think hero pieces, these are movies where you have like one shining character who comes in and saves the day. They typically have some sort of either moral high ground or they learn to take a moral high ground throughout the story. And since we've watched Akita, can we say, is there a hero in this story? Absolutely, but we'll bring that debate up to the end. We'll see what time card. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to the characters um, in this story. After we I'll get give to you a hint. the making of everybody, he is a soldier. Ah, okay, all right. I know who you're going for. <laughs> but so, so uh, our our creator here, Katsuhiro, is basically saying, "Nope, no hero piece. Instead, I want this to be a visual piece." So he wanted to actually like basically employ a lot of a lot of things that hadn't been used very much, but actually created a pretty high quality piece of work. One of those is he pre-scored this entire movie. Um, if you're not familiar with how usually anime is made, typically all the drawing and all the animation is done first, and then they do the voice work and they score it afterwards. He's like, no, 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 no. We're doing all of it before. And that had never been done before in Japan, which may not seem terribly big if you're like a disney fan because most of the <laughs> disney stuff is pre-scored uh which is why things line up with their mouths very well um and that was actually how this started he's like we should at least pre-score close-ups because i actually want things to look like they're actually saying it so he pre-scored everything 
he also used computer-generated effects, which was not done terribly much at the in the '80s. Even though not not a ton of the movie used a lot of computer-generated effects, do we can we recall many moments from this that used it? You know, just just upon my one and only viewing of this movie, the one viewing, um, yeah, just just the one. <laughs> uh, I I feel like like anything that involved like the high speed chases or the high speed, you know, motorcycle riding, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of those shots where there's a lot of action. I'm assuming that stuff had to have been at least used on the computer, um, you know, in some of the larger explosions and um, trippy, you know, mm -hmm. effects that kind of happen. Right. Like, I don't know if I'm on the right track or not, but that was my, my, uh, my thought at least. Nothing, nothing up there. Josh? All I know is like when it comes to drawing cartoons, animation, or anything else in the past, mm -hmm. the only thing I can ever envision is somebody who draws that that frame and then you know folds it over and then draws that next frame. And I always imagine somebody drawing twenty thousand pictures a day mm -hmm. just to give me that flip book effect. You know, when you got yep. a little stick man jumping or whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't help myself. That's all I can think of. And I, wow. I so much pity and and thankfulness for those people yeah which believe really, it or not the computer is just click point and click baby yeah believe yeah. it or not none of those were computer generated all that shit was drawn damn i know insane really if you can recall a doctor ever basically having this weird little sphere in front of him and these basically when reading psychic auras it had like these weird waves come off of it that was the computer generation that was mostly used for this. But that little bit... Not where I thought you were going with Doctor with a Stick. So I'm really glad we ended the animation. <laughs> yeah. Considering all the experimentation done on children in this film, that is very refreshing to know. Lots there. Lots there. So that was there. But uh, probably one of the most like, groundbreaking things that was used for this was a quick action recorder. Is anyone familiar with a quick action recorder for animation? It's, a, it's like none of you watched cartoons growing up. I just envisioned like Kenny G <laughs> with like a, a recorder on the side while the guy's like animating. And just, yep, it's purely inspiration. <laughs> just, just quick action with the recorder moving back and forth, you know, swaying yep. the curly hair in the air. Yeah, sorry. just swaying in the end. We're looking like, oh, oh, this is brilliant. I can, ooh, I can ooh, work so much ooh. faster with this. Yeah, ooh, so, suddenly, like, suddenly the, the, the work desk is just on fire, you know? It's just, just, yes. <laughs> No, I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So basically what it is, it allows camera shots of the individual frames that are drawn. And basically you take it, take a picture of it, draw another frame, take a picture, et cetera. And then it'll actually play those back in sequence at 24 frames per second. And oh, that doesn't seem really great. But what is great about it is that the animators can now spot mistakes in individual frames before they actually start adding it into the cells for the background. So it allows them to basically proofread all of their drawings before they turn it into their teacher. <laughs> Pretty solid. Great school reference. That's good. Yeah. Um, so this was really helpful, though, for like those, you know, those the heavy animation pieces that you were talking about that came off as visually amazing. And part of the reason that they're able to do that at such high quality is because of the fast action recorder, where they could catch mistakes they had made and they said, especially like transitioning shots and especially in facial expressions, it was insanely useful. Akita comes Exo out Squad. in, in 1988. I fucking love Exo Squad. 
Love yeah. me some exoskeleton. You give me you give me into robots, and I'm just in. You know I'm <laughs> sold on that. But so Akita comes out in '88 and is pretty much a smash in Japan. And they even had this idea, like when they were making it, like we want to market this internationally. So let's now go international. Let's come home to America. Mm. And when you look at anime in America thus far until 1988, you've got things coming out. It's like again, like Tetsujin 28, Mazinger Zing, King Beast Go Lion, and Science Ninja Team Gotcha Man. All of them sound like I should know them. Well, perhaps you heard of Gigantor, because yeah, that's what yeah. Tetsujin 28 was marketed as in the United States. King Beast Gigantor. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's, yeah, I got you. Okay. that's the story that where Akira was supposed to be based off of originally, but he only used 28 in Kanida. King of the Beast Go Lion. You maybe have heard of a little thing called Voltron, Defender of the Universe. Before we get away from Gigantor, I just yeah. want to mention that... I'm not singing it again. No, no, no. Gigantor, the only reason why it's familiar to me is because of the Night at the Museum movies. Owen Wilson's character calls Ben Stiller Gigantor yep. several times. And that's and I'm like, I always thought, like, that, is this an original thing? Like someone, you know. No. That's, that's, so, that's a yeah, real word. Right. I know it's and been used. Didn't yeah. um didn't Crowley call Sam Gigantor a few times in Supernatural? I think he might have. Yeah. I mean, I know he called him Moose. <laughs> but yeah okay yeah. sorry I, yep. I just like gigantor i was like oh my god i yeah. know that it's, you've heard know? of it even if that's the thing like even if you haven't actually watched gigantor like you've heard the you've heard the name i totally have. so yeah, yeah you've got that science ninja team gachaman also known as battle of the planets um and this is basically what we have in the united states is we would take we would basically pay out to japanese companies like Toei and Toho and Sunrise, and we would buy like four of their shows. And like, all right, we're gonna freaking like snip them up, stitch them together, and make one show out of them for cheap because we're not having to pay animators to make something brand new. And we would get basically these weird censored glimpses into Japanese animation and to varying degrees of success. Obviously, Voltron worked, whereas Gigantor. Didn't work very great. I honestly, I forgot what Mazinger Zing was brought here as. Also flopped. Um, and Battle of the Planets didn't do so hot. So out of like those four, Voltron worked. But we don't get a whole much. It's basically serialized things. We have this idea that anime in Japan is what cartoons are here for kids. They're for kids. And then Akira happens. Yeah, but well, okay. So one thing I, I did do some research on because from the anime that i have seen most of it is fairly recent or mm -hmm. you know backed by netflix or something right yep and so when i watched this and i looked at it and this is 1988 i went how the hell was this possible in 1988 to have mm -hmm. this kind of quality because right away it's like pretty visually stunning movie and so then i, I kind of pulled the thread a little and found out that there was five and a half million dollars poured into this production mm -hmm. back in 1988. Yep. And now, Josh, I don't know how much of the program you've listened to historically, but Joe and I love to adjust for inflation. Okay. Now we love our math. The buying power for this movie. Okay. So 5.5 million in 1988 is the equivalent of 13 million, 366,627 dollars, 22 cents. So boom. 
the money was there. I think that yes. is why this looks so critically different from everything else mm-hmm. I've seen from the same era. Yeah, Just putting that out young, there. young definitely doubled down in this production, and when it hit the states, as long as mo- as as well as a lot of other places around the world, it's like nothing they had seen before. Because again, we'd gone from this idea that cartoons were made for kids, and here was something beautifully animated with a lot of adult content and a lot of adult weight to it, and took the planet by storm. This thing made eighty million dollars on that budget of fifteen. Was it was it thirteen or fifteen million? I have a bad memory, and you just said it. <laughs> five and a half million. Five and a half million. Five and a half million yeah. made eighty. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, not bad. So that's where I'm going to go with all of the background on this movie. Like, this is how the movie happened. This is why the movie looks so great is because of, like, again, investing money into the technology to have such a high quality product, and then again, also just a very, I mean for as little of experience as he had going into it, still a pretty acclaimed writer and, and animator or drawer or illustrator. So we had like, basically, you know, it was, it was the right night. All the players were there and it just worked. And I don't know why this is the accident I'm going with right now. It makes no real good. Movie if, you, if you do it again, we're All leaving. Right. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> but now, as soon as you started, that, I was just about to make a comment about, mm-hmm. uh, he's just a tracer. You give old Kevin Smith a little bit of credit, but then you started it on that, and it just went out the window. Yep. For those of you who've shut off the episode, I don't blame you. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So, question you I have: paste it a little bit earlier, or yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, re- we'll reuse that in the beginning, and just like good storytelling, you'll hear it at the beginning, and then we'll come back to it later. Uh, but okay. So, so the question I had for this. Um, mm-hmm. I, I figured there had to be some manga influence, but was the movie like directly adapted from the manga or, you know, was there, was there quite a bit of changes? Like, cause when I, when I think about stuff like the resident mm-hmm. evil movies or um, obviously a lot of video game adaptations, they tend not to follow, you know, like beat for beat what the games would do. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess in adapting, you know, essentially it was a comic, right? Mm-hmm. what yeah like how close was it do we know i mean i mean i think think josh you've already admitted to not reading the manga and i haven't read the manga so i'm going solely off of what uh katsuhiro said and mm-hmm. uh saying that again his his goal was not to basically just turn the manga into a movie um obviously like the characters like, a lot of the characters are the same um i'm guessing the same central idea is there but at the same time when making the movie he hadn't finished writing the manga yet so he had when he started writing the movie, he started writing it from the end and worked backwards. So Game of Thrones style, but no one was thinking that he would die of hypertension before he got there. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And okay. again, what actually also helped is that when... boy here, everybody. <laughs> and when you look at Katsuhiro, like he kept production notes even for the manga and for the movie. And in his production notes, when he started making the manga, by the time he was done writing the first chapter he knew roughly where he wanted the story to end up. So he had an idea of where he, what he wanted it to be, even though he hadn't quite gotten there yet. Because yeah, he basically wanted Kaneda and, and Tatsuo to meet in Paris and seeing each other, you know, right across from each other at a table. 
and, yep, and, then, and then and then just just smile and then it fades to black right yes and that's when tetsuo would look at kanida and say wait a second that man's rich i'm not going to pay my bill and that's why he nodded and just got up and walked off we we might have Sorry. confused this for the dark knight again which we've done Maybe. before we do that a lot um and for some of you that you is how it ended right we watched the right movie Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and we may have brought up a name confusing some of us uh because we we've said tetsuo a few times right now and we haven't really talked about the characters in this movie we, we have not really, character dive no no we haven't even really talked about like the overall plot or like backdrop to this movie we've just talked about the production stuff yeah that so might let's be talk what about people are interested in first yeah. maybe like yeah. that we we've dissected the pre-akira and the acclaim to akira but now let's look at the actual movie so yeah. who remembers how this movie opens up wow for my first Anyone. viewing first thing um, yeah where do we start i i just i distinctly remember uh like a a, a biker sequence where people are mm -hmm. chasing after each other there was like an explosion or something yeah hot and heavy right away right yeah yeah mm -hmm. you're dropped right in the action it's like it's like a <laughs> helicopter you know leaving in vietnam basically to figure mm -hmm. it out I think that's where it began, but I don't know. Maybe you guys can remember me or remind me of this because uh, only one time. Exactly how it went with Ben Stiller throwing up a Armageddon, whatever movie that was, Doomsday, uh, Babysitters Club, something. <laughs> well, if we take those two answers, we're actually pretty close because we start off actually in 1988, believe it or not. And you get this nice, nice like cityscape of Tokyo. Yeah. And as it zooms out to its fullest, suddenly, big old explosion. That's right. That's right. This is a, I want to say, a reference to the the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And for as much as like you know, uh, Katsuhiro says he had inspiration from American films, this is one thing that resonates with Japanese culture. Pro will probably like resonate endlessly to my. To my understanding or my my opinion on it is that 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 moment which how couldn't it like has shaken the country to its core or it's going to like affect generations to come yet and we see that we've seen it in so many of their other anime anime and manga so it, it's the starting point to go with here and they do mention that this is also how world war three starts they don't really hmm. go into it believe it or not like like in this movie afterwards like there's no like other thing like they mention the war one more time in this movie, but they never, they just kind of say World War Three happens after this. We don't know why. Like, did Japan start fighting other people? Did, did people like know Japan was my friend? So I'm going to start bombing people that we think hate Japan? We don't really elaborate on that at all. So instead, biker gangs. <laughs> Which because is the now... perfect cover for a horrible thing that happened. Uh, <laughs> and then now we've been friends for a long time. So like, let's yes. just skip all that really bad stuff mm -hmm. and just go into something super cool at the time, which is two wheels on a road. Darn right. Right. Smart. Motorbikes, man. We lived that life once upon a time. No, you know, the, you don't choose a life. The life chooses you. Darn right. So now we're in yeah. the, the distant future of 2019. Ooh. We're in Neo Tokyo because Tokyo is still a crater. Like there's... There's not really much left. They they actually rebuild something that goes there. But for the most part, they've relocated Tokyo into Neo-Tokyo. And it's kind of 
Dreadlike, to be honest. It's very Mega City One esque if you are familiar with that property, where mm -hmm. uh, things are overcrowded uh, and the crime is almost as bad as New Jersey. And yeah. that's where we are in Neo Tokyo with with our street gangs. And we quickly are introduced to like basically our two main characters who we follow, who are Kanida and Tetsuo. Yeah, that's something I was wondering too. Did I don't know if I missed it, but did we ever get an explanation for why these gangs exist? I mean, is it is this just what kind of rises up out of the, you know, out of the pandemonium of trying to rebuild cities? Like, I guess. I how mean, does... what's a good apocalypse without a biker gang? Is I think the the, the idea behind this. That's the easy sell, but. Mm -hmm. If I remember right, at some point there's a principal who's yelling at them and calling them degenerates or some other, you know, stereotypical word. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. It's just kids making bad decisions. We got to get much. out there and make the parks clean, you know, mm -hmm. give them some yeah. alternatives. So really yeah. it's so really it's not that foreign a concept. It's uh yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. I got it. Yeah, so on top of biker gangs, you also get some pretty sweet punk rock music playing in the background. Uh, really tall buildings for a landscape with these bright neon lights all over the place and definitely a red light district somewhere. Uh, so really, it kind of just boils down to being this cyberpunk heaven. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that from what I saw. It's, uh, it definitely, the vibe was 80s, obviously. Right, futuristic '80s. What the '80s thought future would look like. They were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Because for some reason, even in 2019, pretty sure we were still using like dot matrix computers. Um, yeah. What are those printers that print really loudly and have like the uh, the easy tear side things? What were the, what are those again? Apples. Apples. Apple probably made it. Um, I'm losing it, but like. Again, in every 80s movie that took place in the distant future, they still had those fucking printers. That's what they had. Um, yeah, which, which one of the things that did surprise me out of this was uh, Canada has a massive Canon sticker, a Canon film sticker on his bike. It, it takes up like half of the front of it. And yeah. I'm like, why is he having a sponsored bike? It's not like he's a NASCAR or something. It, it just it threw me off. I was like, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big fucking sticker. Yeah, right? Which I guess we should talk about that bike because that's one of the more iconic things about this movie is that motorcycle. And if you ever see advertising for this movie, it's probably again another thing that gets copied quite a bit is this red motorcycle in the at the top of the poster, and you see like Kanida walking in his big red leather, like Michael Jackson puffy like leather jacket with a pill on the back, and then it yeah. says Akira like under underneath him. This is again like an iconic vehicle. It's used in Ready Player One, um, yeah, because great. one of the main characters uses that. She doesn't do the power slide though, which is kind of upsetting. Super rude. Mm -hmm. it, it, it depends because the bike does slide just before it hits king kong right it does. so so she, but does she put a leg down yeah i she might have honestly because like because mm -hmm. she's already starting to get out of the way and then she yeah. gets grabbed by you know by the main character so i don't know but yes mm -hmm. yes so when they when they when they mentioned that reference in ready player one i was just kind of like blank staring and blinking going this means nothing to me but yeah. I, but it's a reference to something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was like <laughs> so me with the other bonsai. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he does have this this badass bike, which he does like. He like Tetsuo is enthralled by the bike, so he he wants to ride it, but kind of is like, nah, you can't handle my ride, man. Um, 
Like, very big brother. Like yeah, very rich, big brother. Very big brother. Which is kind of honestly like the relationship that they seem to establish with these two through the movie is Kanida definitely feels like he needs to. I mean, it's they've got like this. Um, I think it's a uh, Bosozoku is what they refer to this in Japan is basically like, you know, rebel youth biker gang is what this is. And Kanida is kind of like the, the head of the gang. Yeah, very, this very fatherly, big brotherly. I was, yes, I was going to say this relationship mm -hmm. feels less brotherly and more almost like stepdadish from a Hollywood standpoint. Like mm -hmm. you can clearly tell that one is influencing the other here, but it's not it's not to the point that like a brother is proud of you, but can't tell you he's proud of you. Mm -hmm. Like like for this, like the 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 way that I kind of got it was like Canada is kind of tough on. Tetsuo, but there's not like a lesson at the end. Yeah, he, he's he's just very tough on this guy, and you know he cares about him, but but yeah, it never quite quite gets to you know use these lessons for something. Yeah, right? again, kind of like this is like not a hero piece. There is yeah, no yeah. this is why I've treated you all this this way all this time, Tetsuo, so you could be strong yourself. There's none of that. It's just no, like you're it's a hero, up, but again, we'll get into it later. So it's, it's yeah. a surprise for later. Huge surprise for later. So <laughs> we kick off then with our with our uh, our biker sequence, and of course there's a rival biker gang. Shenanigans ensue, and a weird blue man shows up. Uh, and Tetsu yeah. ends up getting into getting into an accident as we are gang warring, and a weird little blue guy's there. Yeah, Takashi, I think, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's his name, and only yep. because it's such a like common characters named yeah. so many yeah yep yeah takashi and we don't get his name until what i'd say halfway through this movie and as well as his significance we don't get because again me watching this the first time like the fuck's up with this blue kid <laughs> he looks so weird compared to everyone else in this movie i i have no idea what's going on but if you're at that point watching this movie stick with it blue kid's kind of important i was gonna say i never had a blue kid in any of my classes growing up no. But I was like, you know what? I've I've already agreed to watch this. I'm going to keep going with it. That's fine. Yeah, you get, <laughs> I mean, now now just to break down the elements of the early film here, like you're you're introduced to something that isn't that hard to visualize. I think we mm -hmm. all kind of know what street gangs are. Um, yep. But then you do start to get a, a little bit of a thread that you don't know how to explain. Mm -hmm. Do I do I tug on this or do I sit in with what's what's familiar? So yeah, they they definitely don't try to do too much too soon. Mm -hmm. Not too much too soon, but what they do do shortly after we get this biker gang and we get this weird we get this accident and the weird blue kid shows up is eventually everyone gets caught and we can see that they're living in a pretty pretty heavily policed city. Like yeah. the police do not fuck around in this movie. It is like straight up violence, ask questions later sort of scenario. And we see they get arrested quickly. There are protests kind of all over, like all over the city protesting the government and basically what they're tax spending reform. money on and the tax uh -huh. reform, all the time tax reform. Everyone promises lower taxes, no one gives them to us. <laughs> yep. So we've got protests, Except we've got police brutality. And then you can fill that in later for whoever you want. <laughs> Yes, exactly. And they're probably Hitler. If I can just take a side note on starting mm -hmm. with that protest part, you know, there's 
so many different things where you can interpret everything through this movie. There's a, a lot, so many movie pieces, just lots. Mm -hmm. But I'd say the one thing that they don't do over the top is really get into like some sort of weird political message, whether it's old yeah. stuff, new stuff, future stuff or anything, you know, mm -hmm. it's there and it's like, Oh, this is kind of this problem, but it's not some like catalyst to all the issues going on or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just always that kind of simmering in the background thing that just really adds to like this new city and this new environment to kind of build it up. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not, like, I don't know, I'm trying to even, like, we'll get to, like, what we think is maybe the main message of Akira, because I, as much as I like the movie, I struggle with what the main message is for it, because it has so many small things, and it doesn't overwhelm you with any of them. It's just as, like, nice, quick little hits, quick little messages, and and then, like, they all just contribute to this greater story. So this is, this is coming from just one viewing, okay? But I, mm -hmm. I did struggle with the same thing. What I tried to whittle it down to was this is uh, basically building a world where there's there's individual, uh, let's just call them like capsules, okay, that mm -hmm. kind of take place within this. So you do have, uh, like you mentioned, police brutality, how they interact with the main characters. You also have, as, as Josh mentioned, you've got some political intrigue that's taking place at the same time as well. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't exactly have like a clearly defined it's not like maybe the most important thing going on here. It's just a, something that influences some of the other things that, you know, uh, affect the main characters too. So what I'm getting at here, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody is that there are small things within this movie that all kind of make up this, this painting, mm -hmm. but not one of these truly takes over, you know, the entire landscape. So, I don't know. Like I, I felt like there's plenty of stuff you could focus on, but um, but it's it does feel like it's it's contained for the most part until it has no choice but to intersect. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's I think that's pretty much spot on. Um, you've got a lot of themes through here. None of them like Bogart the mic at any point in time, and you just see how these characters have to live in this complex and very diverse world that they're that they're stuck in. So we get Tetsuo, who eventually wakes up after he, the, the issue with the, with the motorcycles. He's all alone, and he's kind of in this weird, like, facility sort of thing. Like, literally, like, the, the FBI came and picked him up, more or less, as a, as, as a, you know, person of interest. And meanwhile, Kanida and the others were basically just forced, like, hey, you've got to go to school because you're kids. So we're not going to really punish you. We're going to say, stop being a motorbike gang. And you punish them. I don't know if you can remember the principal office scene. Oh, was God. Brutal. It was brutal. They don't get punished necessarily by the police after like, of course, the way they're arrested is pretty violent, but they're not thrown in jail. They're just like, and yeah. they don't even take their motorcycles away. They just told like, no, fuckers go to school. And yeah, go to school. We called fine. your principal very dare i say like 50s mayberry style like we're gonna tell your mom on you but these poor kids didn't have moms like mm -hmm. we'll call the authority figure in your life yeah pretty much that, that was a major part of it that i i was actually kind of confused by is the mm -hmm. the complete lack of influence by parents on these kids like mm -hmm. it it you, you see so many of these films try to explain behavior right like because 
for a young, like we're not going to call this like a a youth film by any means. Like this isn't a coming of age tale necessarily. I'm not going to use that here. But normally, you at least try to understand why characters are the way they are. And a lot of times, parents are the explanation for that because, well, I own two children. I know how much of an influence I have on them. But they don't do that here. Like there, there's not really a major investment in mm-hmm. any of that storytelling. Uh, and so it it's it was a little weird, you know? Very. <laughs> yeah, you don't, there is no home life for any of like, again, this is a very young cast that you have in this. Like these kids are in their early teens. Um, we're assuming they're at least 15, 16 and can be legally driving their motorbikes, but we don't yeah. know. They're a troubled youth. When did they trade the 64 crayon container with the sharpener in the back for a 200 mile per hour killing machine like that's that's what i was trying to understand like i get there's biker (laughs) gangs and all that but it's like Mm -hmm. when did that handoff occur you know how did they just end (laughs) up like this yeah we don't we don't know but then again like from understanding of a lot of japanese um like anime like anime films and story tending that's not their main concern they don't really care about continuity it's not a thing for them um, it's another part of the story they're focusing on. So we we don't know why the parents aren't around. We get throughout this entire movie no real mention of the parents uh, for any of these for any of these youths. But we now have our two main characters divided, and this is where their stories really start to, I mean, very much diverge because Connie does basically chasing a girl for most yeah. of his time, and we see a lot of his motivation is just to either keep his biker gang together defend his turf against the uh, the rival gang and get this girl to like him. But Tetsuo yeah. has a much darker, darker thing going on at this time. Who remembers what Tetsuo is going through? Puberty. I mean, it is brutal. It is just, mm-hmm. it's exploding. It's crazy. Yeah. And My poor boy, poor boy got experimented on. Mm-hmm. Got experimented on. And this is basically think like, think X-Men, but really, really bad and also kind of more likely where he basically like he starts developing like headaches and hallucinations and very quickly like telepathic powers. I think they, cause they said psychic a lot when they yeah, interpreted they psychic. or translated mm-hmm. it. Telekinetic, like, I, I think watched, is, Yeah, I watched the That's the version. one. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's yeah. telekinetic because telepathic is Professor mm-hmm. X. Telekinetic yeah. is Jean Grey. And he's more Jean yes. Grey than he's Professor X. Yeah. At first. At, at first. first, at first, yep. So he starts developing tele- telekinetic powers, and we start seeing that while Kanida had this idea that he was helping Tetsuo all this time, Tetsuo does not feel the same way. He basically sees Kanida bailing him out or helping him as a way of for Kanida to like puff himself up and say he's better than Tetsuo, and te- that's why Tetsuo has to always be saved. So you have this action interpreted completely different by your two main characters of this movie. And that then defines who they are for the rest of the movie. Because the rest of it, Kanida consistently tries helping Tetsuo, despite the fact that Tetsuo does not want the help throughout this movie. But when you look at Kanida trying to help him, he's kind of like, Tetsuo, you idiot. I'm trying to help you. Do what I tell you. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the 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 tiger is showing its teeth the entire time, but instead you're just trying to keep pissing it off with like you know uh, dad values. You know it was 
it was very bizarre to see that it's like this dude is increasingly getting more untethered from who he was at the beginning and for some reason our main character just kind of just does not seem to understand you're not helping at all you know i i he doesn't seem to learn that lesson even even towards the end of the movie i don't think he learned a lot of lessons in it but <laughs> <laughs> no you you're right it's almost like i'm gonna shock you into doing what i i say so i can be controlling or, or helping you or whatever you know mm -hmm. interpretation you want but instead it's like i want to i'm just gonna i'm gonna keep shocking you bud over and over and over i'm, I'm gonna jostle you out of that train of thought and everything i'll just go back to normal we'll be fine yeah it'll be fine yeah. it'll be fine and as we goes on we find out it is very much not fine um uh we don't want to spoil too much of this for you because again this is it's an iconic movie. We want you to go and watch it. Mm -hmm. I do want to mention one of these plot threads that, once again, doesn't necessarily overtake everything, but it mm -hmm. is part of what is kind of going on underneath this. Um, because there is like this underground, like pseudo rebellion that oh yeah mm -hmm. is is going on as well. And that and that's where Canada meets, you know, this potential love interest that you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier. He's kind of falling around, um, and so it's uh, it's K. K. Yep. Yes. Although we That's don't right. get her name for a while because Connie was trying to get her name for a good, like, probably what, 40 minutes of this movie? I think her buddy, Ryu, um, he might have said it like way in the beginning when they were like shouting something up. But it was like, it was so, like, doesn't matter because of the other 50 mm -hmm. things going on. Yeah. 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 I just know because I tried to remember it the whole time. You no, know, it, it is an easy detail to kind of get lost in because I was, I agree with you. The first mm -hmm. time I watched it, I was like, well, what, what are they really rallying against? You know, do, do they just not like corruption in politics? Because guess what? You can do that at any time in any mm -hmm. country, no matter what class you are. It's like yeah. you can always find something wrong with politics. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that was that was one thing where I'm like, OK, this is here. Mm -hmm. OK, but it, it's it's just kind of noise at that point. Yeah. Um, so it, it doesn't necessarily help us lead into this conflict joe that you mentioned near the mm -hmm. end but it's there it's, it's there. there just just know it's, it's coming you'll see it it does however lead to kind of an in-between spot where we see that not only is there this kind of like you know this underground political unrest happening and protesting but also there's a legitimate actual weird underground to neo tokyo and that's yeah. where we've got some weird government experiments going on, including yeah. on psychic children. And that's a perfect segue to the absolute hero, just mm -hmm. to call you wrong, Joe, the absolute hero of this movie, which is Colonel Sh Shikishima. Shikishima. <laughs> because if there's anybody throughout the whole movie that stays true to his values, is trying to help out the world, help everybody out, including the kids, yeah. It's the colonel, man. I mean, he, as he said 10,000 times in the movie, he is a soldier. Mm -hmm. Well, you're dead on, man. Like when I was watching that, that's that's the only person in this movie where I kind of found myself doing like the 80s fist pump at the end of the film kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I watched him and I'm like, he does legitimately care for these kids that are in this mm -hmm. experimentation program, which I didn't see coming because at first I was like, he's there. He's like a facilitator. And mm -hmm. he's fighting against the, the this government, right? That's trying to tell him how to spend his money because we've given you all this money to try to figure out this these psychic powers. 
and you're not getting us to where we need to go. Mm-hmm. And to see him consistently be like, yes, I have things that I have to get. There's results that people want, but I'm still worried about the kids. Like it was a, it was a very complex and kind of hard thing to interpret at first. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't quite know. I didn't quite know if he was actually like speaking the truth or if he was just saying that so that he didn't lose control of the, the whole scenario. And I think that's the beauty of the character, really, is because when you're introduced to him, when you first see him, he's running the underground facility. He's clearly military because he's a soldier, like he says several times. Um, he's a he's a soldier to the point where, honestly, I forgot his name through most of the movie, and I just knew him as the colonel. Like he's the I colonel. do too. He's a soldier. Yeah. That's how we know him. And yeah. you see him like, okay, so he's the head. He's the one abducting the children, and we're going to assume has nefarious plans for the children. And it turns out he doesn't. As you meet the character, as you go into the character, he's legitimately trying to keep the kids safe from yeah. the corrupt government and also keep them just alive in general. I, I picture him as like that guy who's a part of a program or, or whatever of any, you know, ridiculous, you know, writing whatever trope where it's like, I'm in charge of a man, but then I, I get this heart of gold and I take care of him. Where realistically, it's just some guy who's like, all right, I'm just going to keep this going. I'm going to keep them happy. I'm going to keep them safe. And at mm-hmm. some point I'm going to hit that year and I'm going to retire and it's all good. Yeah. Like just doing all the right stuff until like, I don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> yeah. And we, hey. you see, he never got to the Murtaugh phase where he was just two weeks from retirement, man. He right. Was it was there. there. It would have been, been a cure. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, some colonels, you know, try to protect children. Other colonels don an all white uniform and start making some bitch and chicken. Mm-hmm. So, which, by the way, on that note, I had no idea that's a legitimate Kentucky thing. Like there oh, was, he, like in the state of Kentucky, <laughs> like you didn't, colonel of chicken. you didn't know the Kentucky colonels were a real thing. No, I didn't think that was a thing for the longest time. I'm like, <laughs> why is this? Is this guy in the military? And when was that a uniform? I just went with it because I like the chicken. So I didn't question it for the longest time. And then wow. I actually found like, oh shit, that's a real thing. Revelations. I opening episode. In. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. yeah well, so we've got. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was going to mention that. I'm happy Josh brought this up because uh, this this relationship between we'll just call him the Colonel because that's easier. Mm-hmm. You know, he he really helped drive the last third of this movie, especially mm-hmm. as they begin to explain what Akira actually was. And yeah, I, I do know because we've gotten this far without actually saying what Akira is, <laughs> which is which is yeah a decision that they made on mm-hmm. purpose with the film because Akira is a big part of the manga from what I understand. Mm-hmm. So for them to leave Akira almost completely out of the film until this point, mm-hmm. uh, that that to me was was the why the, the Colonel is such an important part of the film because he he pretty much lays out the whole scenario at the end mm-hmm. right and and it's that explanation that kind of helps bring tetsu back a little bit you know because he's kind of he's going towards the edge of this cliff mm-hmm. the entire like second half of the movie and he almost completely falls off right so i don't yeah. know i think he falls off the cliff to be honest if you're if you're looking at what happens like he goes full-on dawson's creek trapper keeper and things have gotten really bad and it's only until he's about to actually like like he can't control what's going on anymore 
he thinks he's going to die. Is he like, oh, fuck, Connie, does someone help me? So I think he's over the edge uh, by the time he actually wants the colonel or anyone to help him. See, this is why I'm disagreeing with you on this one. It's because someone deliberately meant to direct how his face looks in these moments, like the climax of the movie, right? His face has regret on it. Like his his face is is truly pained at the end, mm-hmm. where you we see plenty of movies where bad characters stay bad no matter what happens to them. Mm-hmm. He he's at a point at least at the end of this movie where I thought maybe he did actually learn something. Mm-hmm. You know, Canada doesn't learn a damn thing no, at all. No, no, no. <laughs> but Tetsu, I feel like in those last moments of like the climax of the movie. Mm-hmm. His like once again, his face was directed by someone, Joe, to look that way in the animation. They didn't well, do it by accident. Was, no, I, I agree with you on that, but I think he was just scared and it was out of fear and not being able to change anything that he cried out for help. So, like, he was basically like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fight you. And then he fought someone off a cliff. And as he was falling, he's like, Oh crap, I'm gonna die too. Someone help me. But he, he acts out of fear the entire movie. Oh, yeah. I mean that that's why I think there's actually some growth mm-hmm. in a villain here because he he acts out of being scared and, and afraid of his powers and mm-hmm. and truly not knowing who he is and and finally reaching a point at the end where he can ask for help because he could have asked for help the entire time like the the entire time from being you know experimented on mm-hmm. knowing he's like this all-powerful being he never asks for help until that point I think that's a good point to describe it as, you know, a villain story because the villain, bad guy, the bad entity, the whatever throughout the movie, you can either say it's in flux or there isn't one. Mm -hmm. You know, there isn't some, there isn't the the Joker to the Batman, you know, or anything along those lines where it's it's a clear black and white. There's so many Mm -hmm. different varying levels of, you know, whether it's, whether it's Tetsuo, whether it's the Colonel or creepy ass little kids or any of those things throughout the, the other biker game mm-hmm. you know there isn't some sort of hey us versus them good versus bad you know it, it brings in that aspect where it's like it may be a fictional life but it's still a life and it's it's yeah. a story of it and so i don't know i guess i hadn't really thought of it before you know towards that and like you guys are saying with you know two different views on it like i see there there's a way that it, it could be construed as as both you know it's on what your interpretation like what you what you read into the story throughout it of which Mm -hmm. direction that's going of you know this this downtrodden watched over micromanaged beaten up you know down on his luck um not in control kid throughout this whole thing or is it the i got picked on so i i threw a trench coat on you know style evil nastiness and doing everything in their power to punish people, you know, type of direction. So that's a, that's a good point. I like that. Yeah, no, I like that idea too. Like, again, like there's no, this is not like a hero story. Therefore, like, again, like, I don't think. Um, besides the Colonel. Besides the Colonel, obviously. Yeah. But I think in that realm, when he, when Katsuhiro said, this isn't a hero piece, therefore there can't be a villain piece to it either. Because as much as like you can, some people can say that like uh, you you put too much on society when people do bad things is the reason why they did bad things. Looking at like Tetsuo is like he is someone who basically feels like he's been bailed out his entire life by someone else, 
and has felt inferior for so long that now he gets immense power and he acts on the power and like you know every you could i hate to use the like the the phrase but every vero every villain is the hero of their own story but in this case i don't think tetsu ever saw himself as a villain it is now finally i have the ability to do something and i'm going to do something about it and he makes poor choices because of it so which also makes it again when you get to the end I don't know if I could say I agree that he acted out of fear the whole movie. He's definitely there, like, in and out at points. But then there are also very much points where he feels completely in control of what he's doing. And he's acting out of, like, I have power now, and now I can use it how I see fit. See, yeah, I, I thought the the fear was there because of the control, mm-hmm. right? Whenever we – I mean, I'm not trying to get too psychological here, but whenever someone is doing something new – there's always a fear that you're not going to get it right because you know, you've never done it before. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think this kid is constantly living in fear. And when you mentioned this control factor, I see that as just overconfidence. There's overconfidence. He's trying to portray to everybody now mm-hmm. because he's lived this, this life as a, a meek and underperforming person. And now this control is a facade for everyone to fear him because that's what he's always known. So, I don't know. Uh, that's where I was living with it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I think this, again, just shows kind of like the beauty of this movie is that you have so many layers that you can interpret differently from the person sitting next to you and even from what Katsuhiro had in mind when he made it is one of the reasons that makes this movie so great. And like we said, this all eventually comes to a confrontational head and throughout the movie, we did get these little protests saying that um, Akira will come again and Akira will have, have the time. And Akira finally does come at the end of this movie. Do not take that sexually. But I would prefer not to go over what Akira actually is because if you haven't seen this movie yet, I think you owe it to yourself to figure out what Akira is as the movie goes on. And when you get that final big reveal at the end of the movie, it should not be ruined by a podcast. No, I agree with you on that. Because if I had known that going into it, then they're, yeah, the last, the last like five, six minutes of the movie would be completely irrelevant. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes, I agree. You know, what, what I'm actually kind of shocked by here is that with the amount of properties that I've always kind of had in my, my pop culture peripherals that I never truly focused on, does, did this one just kind of stay as a singular film or has it, has it gone beyond that? Because I, because seriously, I have no frame of reference right now. I, I don't think so. I don't think there's an there's an Akita two. I don't know where the manga ends up though. Yeah, I think if anything, it would be either more interpretation or something later on that maybe the you know weird studio permissions or something. But no, I, I think this really is just one of those standalone, simple, beyond simple. But just simple, this is the movie. These are the things that we did. And these are all the crazy things that came out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was advancement in animation or writing or you know, distribution or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like, there's Akira. You know, that there's that's yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like one of those things where I think the creators have made the right decision. We're like, you know what? This thing is incredible. It stood out for its time. It's a cultural icon. I think they just leave it be. I don't think there's been any attempt to follow up with a sequel to this movie. 
There's no um, spin-off anime turning into a longer series. There's been several talks over making it into like a live action budget Hollywood, like big budget Hollywood movie. Um, and like, I think, like, uh, I think I'm trying to think, um, Jordan Peele was like one of the people approached to do it. And I think he, he said flat out, no, he was not one of his favorite movies, but he would never try bringing it, um, to real life. Yeah. Well, I mean, nowadays, yep. like you kind of mentioned, uh, there are properties that have come out since that I think to, to most, it would be like, what's referencing what at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's been long enough that this has influenced so many other properties it just kind of gets lost i think as opposed mm -hmm. to having watched this and going i know exactly who pulled things out of this yeah. like i don't think the matrix exists without akira you know yeah. uh, I, I don't even think there's some interpretations of what happens in like the dread universe without akira mm -hmm. you know all all of this kind of stuff just comes together here in 1988 and then kind of lays a groundwork for, you know, the next like 25, 30 years of sci-fi. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's really kind of staggering. Yeah. Uh, just looking back at it, which, and even then it's not to say that this didn't borrow from things because I know, um, Josh, you, know, you had mentioned that like it had even borrowed from like American references. Cause I know it, this was even like visually was influenced by Blade Runner, but I'm sure mm -hmm. there are other things that it, it even it borrowed from. I think there's a lot of theft back in the day. Um, no, but it it kind of it is 100% a part of that that era, if you will, that that brought in, you know, like you said, the sci-fi stuff, or whether it's futuristic, post-apocalyptic. You know, it was. You know, we've talked about that as humans. You know, we've we've told those stories for for a long time, but putting the the imagery and animation and everything together with with all of those different aspects or, or skills or just you know the, all of the different ways that they put this thing together you know it it took all of the good stuff before it and then all of its new things it shared with the other folk you know over the mm -hmm. next little bit so that that web of interconnectivity if you want to make up a word with me mm -hmm. you know it's it's just it's almost a center point it's yeah. not the only one, but it, it is mm -hmm. one of the biggest parts of that foundation. Oh, absolutely. And it's it's like I, I've brought up on the show before, you know, uh, in America, we call it plagiarism, but in France, they call it homage. And <laughs> like, I would say that there's there is some homage from Akita uh, that Akira does to other sci-fi movies, but there are so many other properties that pay homage to Akita with uh, rocking uh taking things from from the movie which as we get to kind of like the closing point of this of this discussion why do we think this movie does stand the test of time why do we still talk about it 34 years later we we did definitely go over the story and some of the groundbreaking animation and production work that went behind it but you know you can have a visually good looking movie that just sucks still like yeah it's pretty but that's just a weird cgi bland fight at the end of the movie and everything around it wasn't that great so what about this movie makes it stand out what makes it you know just keep going you know i'll i'll, I'll take a shot at this once again just because i've only seen it once mm -hmm. for me as a movie goer i can appreciate films that build escalation and and they do it in a way that that doesn't overwhelm you 
okay? Because this movie introduces you to a lot of stuff you're familiar with, like we talked about, the political intrigue, we've got rioting, uh, we've got some violence with the street gangs, you know, all this stuff. Okay, I've got this, I understand it. And so you are given breadcrumbs at a time. So if you're introduced, like you guys mentioned, you see a, a blue kid in the beginning, it's not like, you know, next time on Dragon Ball Z, and then they give away the whole fucking episode. <laughs> it, th this is like, no, no, no. You see this blue kid, suddenly you're kind of back to the kids are in front of the police, right? And so you're, you're, you're guided through this in a really responsible way so that you don't have too much on your plate at one point, right? You never get full on too much bullshit. And by the end of the movie, this escalation and the payoff totally feels right for the pacing and that's what most movies get wrong like pacing is so shitty in a lot of hollywood movies nowadays that you get way too much like just filler for the first like 90 minutes and now you know where they spent the money it's like yep this lasts like 14 minutes now there's like a cgi fuck fest so for me that's that's what i got out of this movie it was responsibly paced and it feels like they they did spread out the budget evenly but i don't know that's one time viewing so i'll let you guys take the rest <laughs> all right josh what about you three three parts okay one nostalgia for me and i think a lot of people that start within that era of anime you know it's such a it's such a big hitter um number two for its pure accuracy i remember 2019 like the back of my hand and they got everything right you know we had super fast motorcycles driven by electricity uh you know there was a whole brand new tokyo uh we had superpowers and you know people started changing different colors because we didn't care about it anymore it was perfect you know but <laughs> realistically i think it's because so much of it's so real in this fantasy world you know mm -hmm. talking about that underground network they always had smaller guns with them you know they didn't have the best and the whatevers they're sneaking around and doing what they could with what they got and you can put yourself in that position like i'm going to fight the power i'm going to fight the the secret society or i'm going to free the children or whatever you know it's just a bunch of rag save pigs the whales. yeah save the whales you're mm -hmm. just a small group going against the big group you know um on the political side Yep, it was ridiculous when they were fighting. I remember that in like the conference room or whatever, like the actual politicians fighting. You know, that was funny, but it's like pretty sure I saw that on the news not too long ago. Again, realistic, like the only thing that kind of goes beyond that is the story they're telling, which is, you know, these these psychic type kid powers or whatever and, and some experimentation where it's like, all right, cool, this is why we're doing it animated because that's a little messed up and they're doing some crazy things with it. So you know they do all that and at the same time they're they're treating the audience like an adult you know they're like you said they aren't pandering to children because it's animated and they're not making some sort of over politicized you know message you know it's it's just like here's our story we're going to tell it exactly how this story is and however it fits with the people watching it you know they didn't they didn't target it like the big hollywood movies or anything like that so it's those just that solid piece of delivery and realism in a super science fiction, fantasy, whatever type like genre or, or delivery, you know, that's how it's packaged up. So, yeah, you know, and I, I don't have too much new to add. I, I think both of those are, 
you know exactly the reason why this movie like still is talked about to this day and is referenced so much is because they make it seem like you can live in this bigger larger than life neo tokyo and they do that by taking timeless problems that will always basically always be around human societies you're always going to have political unrest um you're always going to have some sort of like idea that authority is overreaching here and there and then they 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 have like problems with youth and where that we don't know how to deal with our youth um that sometimes we feel like the adults are out of touch they're being too too hard and the youth act out as they do these are all things that kind of just always happen and that helps you ground a larger than life story on top of that they made it visually striking they they scored it very well when you hear something it sticks out and it sounds real and i think that's part of the beauty of this movie so at that point i think we've we're going to go ahead and call this one call this one done we've got my anime episode out for the season last time it was gundam this time is akira next time it will be either gundam again or just something big robot oriented <laughs> uh, but we'd like to really thank our good buddy and friend former roommate josh for making it on to this podcast so we're gonna give josh a time to shout out his uh his blog one more time and we're gonna give you the honor of saying the catchphrase to end the episode great appreciate it guys seriously it was a whole bunch of fun it was great just even friendly debates about such a timeless classic movie um and anime everybody seriously go watch a whole bunch of anime um yo if it ever gets published uh and it's not already stolen then again if it is go and check theirs out but uh blog uh sad but okay s-a-h-d but okay um just in case we'll throw it out but other than that thank you all very much have a wonderful night and until next time keep on dissecting